Hello and welcome to Who Is She? A Bechdel Test Fest podcast. For each episode, my Bechdel partners in crime and I come together to spotlight a pioneering woman in film who we think should be on your radar. I'm your host, Beth Webb, film journalist and broadcaster and co-runner of the Bechdel Test Fest. I'm joined today by our founder, critic and broadcaster, Karina Antrobus. Hi! Steph Watts, film journalist, podcaster and our lead creative... Hello. And Caitlin Quinlan, journalist, critic, and our editorial head. Hello. Our subject today is Kitty Green. Kitty started her career as a non-fiction filmmaker and her fictional debut, The Assistant, came out in 2020. The film stars Julia Garner as a young woman trying to stay afloat while working under a predatory film studio exec. So we had Karina catch up with Kitty Green uh, for this episode in particular, but before we get to that, we are going to ask the big question of the podcast, and today I'm coming to Caitlin. So Caitlin, Kitty Green, who is she? Thanks, Beth. Um, so Kitty Green, uh, she's an Australian filmmaker. Um, I think she's someone with a, a really interesting eye for the way that fiction and documentary can intersect. She kind of made her debut, her debut feature was a documentary um, in 2013 about a uh, feminist protest group in Ukraine, which she then followed up um, in 2017 with another kind of hybrid fiction documentary, um, a really brilliant film called Casting John Bonet, which is currently on Netflix, um, highly recommend and you watch that um, it's this kind of really br- brilliant innovative really unnerving story um, and way of telling the story of, of the murder of John JonBenet Ramsey who was a child beauty queen who was um, killed at the age of six and the documentary kind of moves through this um, sort of imaginary casting process um, sort of reenacts the story of the crime through these wannabe actors who are who are trying to fill the roles of the real people involved so yeah just this like hugely fascinating look at sort of conspiracy and pop culture um, which I think then kind of feeds into what she did with The Assistant, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to talk about, which is her, her latest film. That was Caitlin talking about Kitty Green. Here we have Karina's interview with the filmmaker herself, and we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. So firstly, let's just start. I mean, I just feel like right now we always have to check in on one another and just seeing how you are and, and where you are in the world. Uh, I am, well, I'm good. I, I'm writing and this is a great time to get some writing done. Like it's a very quiet time. So that's the, the, the benefit, I guess, of this. But I mean, it's really, it is a strange time. It's weird to sort of talk about how, what we're getting from it essentially. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in New York at the moment and it's freezing and snowing, but everything's uh, well. That's why you're cold. I was wondering, because you're, you're an Australian and I was <laughs> expecting it to be nice and warm. But no, if you're in New York, I can totally understand that you're very cold right now. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'm very excited to hear that you're writing. I look forward to hearing a little bit more on that later. But um, let's first take a step back and... What we're doing in the podcast here is talking about filmmakers and their work and we want to just know a bit about you as a filmmaker and we already know you have success in both shorts and documentaries and narrative films but in your own words what kind of stories do you find yourself most drawn to what what kind of filmmaker are you gosh i don't really you know it's weird to something about your own career that way um i'm not sure i i mean i'm 
I guess I'm always attracted to stories, women's stories, stories with women, women-led kind of essentially um, that I've never, I, I, I like a challenge and I never, so I, I get very bored very quickly. So whenever I come across an issue or a theme that I'm interested in, I generally start there with something that's, I guess, even an article or an image essentially. Um, and then I love to figure out kind of the form whatever the project I'm working on will take, what I have to say and what form will best fit whatever I have to say. So it's, it's almost like the issue comes first, the form comes second. Mm. Um, and mm. then it's it's a strange process, but then I end up with a film, whether that be a documentary or a fiction film or mm. a hybrid. It sort of always sort of stems from whatever this interest is in whichever, you know what I mean? Which It's a tough thing to describe, I guess, mm. sorry. No, no, it's fine. I mean, and where, where are you looking for inspiration? Where, what kind of things do you turn to when you think, I need, I need some inspiration here? I'm not sure. I sort of collect a lot of things as I go, like articles and sometimes sometimes even images that I just think, I have made a short film about, it, like basically essentially from an image that I loved of a figure skater in tears. And I think these kind of, these yeah I don't know you never I never know where kind of inspiration where I get it from I just sort of mm. the thing I tell film students all the time is just you have to be passionate about it because filmmaking is so difficult it takes two years or at least and you're exhausted and you have to so you have to really love what you're or really be interested in what you're you know mm. attacking actually um so yeah I guess so whatever it sort of hits me in the right way I guess I, I go with it's very good advice for sure so just going back a bit to the formations of your career, you were trained, as I, as I believe it, as a narrative filmmaker, but you soon found yourself in documentary making, um, what with Ukraine is not a brothel and the excellent casting John Binet, which is still on Netflix now and watched it recently and it's still as fascinating as ever. But talk to us a little bit about that journey from training to narrative, yet finding yourself making documentaries. Um, well, I wanted to be a fiction filmmaker, essentially, mm. but I think what happens is you graduate from film school and you're very young and nobody's going to really give you that job to direct a fiction film. Like you kind of have to, in order to find work, in order to kind of sustain myself, essentially, I found work actually doing behind the scenes documentaries on other films so I could be on sets and see how they operate. So mm -hmm. that was kind of a great gig for me because I could kind of check out how the sets were working and watch them, watch the actors work but I got to make my own little film at the same time. So I would make these little docs and I got really, I kind of got interested in it and I started to enjoy it. I started to enjoy how, um, how kind of free they were and how kind of anything could happen and unpredictable. There's something interesting about that. So I started kind of doing some assistant work in documentary, assistant editing and things like that. And, and then kind of fell into it and started making my own docs and eventually tried to make my way back into fiction. Just, but it sort of took a few a few films to kind of get all the way back, I think. Mm. I think it's interesting, actually, that trajectory is very familiar to a lot of female filmmakers, and you do see a lot more female documentarians than, say, narratives all starting out in documentary first. So it's interesting to hear your own trajectory kind of mimic that 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 familiarity for for other female directors. Would you would you say that's that's accurate? I mean, I think so. I think it's changing where I think they're giving women jobs in fiction, but it felt like for a long time that, that that's what the men did, especially in Australia, to be honest. It felt like there was a lot of men making fiction films and were allowed to make fiction films and women weren't given the same opportunities. But I do see my friends now who are coming up in the industry mm. getting kind of opportunities to kind of 
to, to land straight into fiction without having to kind of do this sideward step in order to prove your worth or, you know, exactly, whatever. But, yeah, so I do think it's changing, I must say. I'm, I'm optimistic. That's good. I mean, we do certainly need optimism for sure. Um, so, I mean, just just from watching casting John Binet again, um, there's certainly a narrative itch being scratched there, isn't there? Because you've kind of got this very interesting hybrid form and I think it's very inventive, this um, real documentary about a hypothetical casting for a feature film about the murder of the six-year-old John Binet. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, I'm aware that your next film after casting John Binet was due to be a documentary about consent. Um, and then the Me Too movement blew up. Um, not really. I, I just, I, again, like I was saying earlier, I, I never really come into this with the form set. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. what I was essentially doing was just doing research um, for a film that I wanted to make, but based on stories I'd heard in the film industry, to be honest, about consent and power structures and things like that. I started doing research on college campuses because at the time that's where those conversations were taking place and the students were having these discussions that we weren't having in the industry. Mm -hmm. So I went there and started just sort of chatting to students and figuring out what's going on. And when I was doing that research, the Weinstein story broke and suddenly, you know, the dam burst and we were allowed to speak up. And so it, everything shifted at that point and I moved into back into the film industry to start chatting to women there. Um, not really knowing what form it would take and then eventually figuring out it took a little while to kind of figure out what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it and, and the assistant became kind of the way I felt the best way to kind of highlight something that was more systemic that was about microaggressions about mm. um, gestures and looks and glances that can really like um, mess with a woman's self-worth or um, yeah, it impede her career trajectory. So all that stuff I felt like I could do better in a fiction film than I could in a doc. So, yeah, that became the path. Mm. I think that's that's a really successful method as well because there's certain things that you've been able to achieve with the narrative that I it would just be different in documentary because you've got such this, this quiet representation of the things that happen to those that find themselves just starting out in any office environment really and I think that's what's so great and successful about it is that it can be transferred to so many different industries but obviously within the shadows of the um, Weinstein case it's quite relatable to that. So yeah the Bechtel Test Fest team and I we we loved it um, and it's it has such a as I was saying before it's such an acutely observational look at how insidious oppressive um, the bottom rungs of the film industry can be. Um, so you've also managed to achieve so much for it in this in the spirit space of time, and I think it's really interesting to speak to you at this point because of it. I mean, this has been out for since May last year, if I'm if I'm correct. And mm -hmm. I wondered if your relationship with it has changed over the last year because you've obviously you now know that it's landed and it's 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 resonated. And like, how are you feeling about it now? Gosh, it's a strange one because we, it's, it's really tough because we made a film about the workplace and nobody's in their workplaces right now. And so it is a strange, um, and are we going back there? Is that, are we going to, when do we get back into the office is a question. So it's been really mm. tough to kind of evaluate how it sits and where it sits in the world. Also because I'm not doing 
normally with a film like this, I'd be doing Q and A's and chatting to audiences. And instead it's a lot of Zoom, which you don't really get to engage with viewers in the same way. Mm. So I don't, my relationship is tricky. I can't really figure out. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased that I get a lot of, you know, messages and things from people who respond to it, especially young women and, and also bosses, to be honest, who have employees and, and, and will tell me that they're going to think about that relationship a little differently, about the line between the personal and the professional, essentially. Um, so all of that's kind of interesting. Mm. And I think I love it when I hear that people are taking it in and it, reflecting on it. But it is, I must say, I, I'm so confused <laughs> as to where it sits in this current sort of state. But yeah. yeah. I think that's a really interesting point you make about how we're not actually at work right now and this is a workplace thriller almost um and I think what what's we've all done over the last you know six to eight months we've we have been sitting at home reflecting and learning to look back and reconcile with the way that we might have acted or the things that we might have been complicit in and I think with that in mind the assistant I hope continues to make people think and when th- things do get back to whatever normal is they can use that as a as a as a lesson to make sure that they they aren't contributing to the systems that are in place that are keeping young women quiet and under underrepresented. Yeah, I I would hope so too. I mean it's just that thing when you read there's just articles you read about how kind of this this whole like this moment in time like it's almost forcing women back into the home women in a home school it was a lot of things like do how far like can we get when we get back into the workplace can we pick up from where we left off or are we going to be a few steps behind so all those kind of questions I just keep running around my brain but I would hope that we have we can yeah that people that that's sort of thinking about those the behaviors and the dynamics in the workplace and trying to speak up when when you sense some when you're concerned or um I think I hope that is the case that that can happen moving forward sorry like, yeah I just, <laughs> I'm kind of ramp I can't absolutely string words together this <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely fine take your time <laughs> yeah no I, I I really do hope that we have some lessons to learn from this from this reflective period because you know we otherwise you're right and as as you rightly say there are things about you know this the mother's having to take on all the work and us having to make sure that we're not regressing into back to housewives as we're taking on all the work because of the pandemic but yeah I, I do hope that we can not do that and not slip back for sure um I know that you had a screening just for assistance which just sounds brilliant. Talk to us about that decision, and how was that? Uh, that yeah, we that was the Los Angeles premiere essentially. But the the idea was that the assistants get to see it first, um, which I think is a great. I, I think was great. I think they appreciated that because I think often they're the last people on the chain. It goes to all these fancy distributors and studio heads, and and, and they're the last people to get to see it. So it was nice to have to fill a theatre with assistants and um, see how it played, but. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I feel like it's um, it's always a tough uh, it's always tough when I we show an audience because it does make a lot of people um, it was a lot of young men especially uncomfortable in a lot of ways and a lot there's a lot of been it's been a so yeah it's really kind of always a confusing we never know how especially with film industry audiences how it's going to play and the first festival we played was Telluride which was it was all industry there was no like 
the one from that wasn't didn't work for Harvey Weinstein at some point in that audience. So it was really intense and really quiet, and and you never know how what that means exactly. But um, but I got a lot of like people coming up to me afterwards who were sort of saying, "Well, this is yes, we needed this," <laughs> but it's also I think makes them uncomfortable to think about their own role in this, to think to interrogate kind of this structure that they've all been we've all been a part of essentially because it's been going on for years and years and years. Um, not just at Miramax and the Weinstein Company, but everywhere essentially. So, yeah, it's it's it, it's always a tough thing to screen for industry audiences, I must say. But I think it's a. I mean, I think that it's important and that we should, that we should have these conversations. So, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think this is it, and I think this is why the depiction of something that is so. Um, kind of quiet and anonymous you know we're not really sure what the character's name is or um you know we're not really sure what company she's worked for we don't really have a name to this producer that is just this impending like bad vibe in the office as opposed to an actual character and I think that is really important and successful because it by taking by making it anonymous because it does mean that it can apply to any any of us and it takes away from all the all the news stories were about Weinstein as this individual or the other side of it was all these glamorous actresses that were affected by it and that those were the stories that were getting the most attention unfortunately but then what you've presented has given us somebody that is much more relatable and is going to be eventually suffering from it on a much quieter level in a way that she can't necessarily articulate mm. so, yeah. yeah that was the intention going in was it I mean when you write a script like that immediately people that read it anyone anyone says well who is she can we t- can we know a little bit more about her what's her background where does she come from and I was not interested in that at all I really wanted her to be um, to be any one of us and every one of us essentially. So we even the name Jane, which I, is never mentioned in the script, but it's in the end credits, is um, just kind of some Jane Doe essentially was kind of the reference. But I, I, I so. yeah, it is. We kind of need to give her a name, otherwise an actor doesn't take the role unless there's a name attached <laughs> to this character. So I think that's what we came up with. But um, she, yeah, it was. I, I don't know. I feel I was. A little concerned that that wouldn't work out, but I really do think it has because there's a lot of young women who come to me and say, that's me, that's my experience. Even women that weren't in the film industry, women that were, I had a woman that worked at a restaurant or a yacht company, like different places mm-hmm. come up to us and say, this is at Sundance, before we, you know, before the lockdown, <laughs> we had a few screenings and we were able to chat to audience members. And so I, I think that's great. I've even had young men come and say that they had a similar experience working for a female boss and and that so that's incredible too so um shocking that so many people relate to this story because it's so bleak and so horrific but unfortunately that's sort of the state of things globally really um, you, you did a lot of research didn't you from talking to other people I, I heard you were talking to hundreds of assistants with lots of different stories that must have been quite in, <laughs> difficult to listen to on, on such a mass scale yeah I mean the interesting thing about that is I spoke to a lot of young women who work for really powerful people. So you get really crazy stories about briefcases full of money and helicopters and yachts and all these sort of bizarre things. And I, so what I was trying to, and what I kept noting down is the kind of the patterns and which were the, always the smaller stories about, well, who gets the coffee when, it, when somebody in the office needs to get the coffee and it's you and a few men, like, is that your job? Like those kind of stories I kept hearing again and again and again. 
Um, and so anything I heard a few times, I would just jot down and became kind of, I was more interested definitely in the ordinary than the extraordinary. I just wanted something that we could all relate to, which doesn't make for the most dramatic script, but it does make for the most universal, essentially. Um, mm. And specifically tasks that weren't film related. I don't think she does anything in the film that you could not, you wouldn't be able to do in a regular office. Like it's like nothing is too filmy. And that was what we were being careful about when I was writing it, essentially. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. And it is seen as one of the first films to address the Me Too movement. Um, did you feel a pressure at the time when you were filming it to get this out in a, you know, strike while the iron's hot type thing? Or did you have the confidence that we'd still be talking about it in a few years to come? And rightly so. It's funny. I mean, we came, we did do it fairly quickly, but I work fairly quickly. I like, I kind of, we shot it in a month and I cut it in two and a half months. And so we were kind of ready for the fall festivals, which is totally right. And essentially, but um, before, and so we, we, there was no reason to wait, but it wasn't that we were trying to hit some kind of, we were trying to be topical or we were trying, it wasn't, had nothing to do with that um, or beat bombshell to the box office or whatever, you know, yeah. it was more, uh, it was essentially just that we had a film we were proud of and we were ready to distribute. And, um, and it's very simple. I mean, honestly, there's nothing on the cutting room floor. I think there's one scene on the cutting room floor. Like it's a short script there's not there was nothing really to play with it's not like we could spend years in the edit there's nothing to find so yeah it was just a quick quite a quick process and I think it really it landed at the right time for me anyway I felt like it it was it was yeah it's the timeline suited it I think yeah certainly did because I think a lot of the films that were first coming out from that um after the movement there was that assumption that oh they're just you know are they going to be fully formed yet and I know there's been varying degrees varying uh, degrees of successful or non-successful reviews with the likes of Bombshell. Um, Promising Young Woman as well has come out now, which I, I, I personally love. Um, have you seen those films? What, what did you think? What did I think of the films? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Bombshell's an interesting one. Mm. Gosh, I, I, feel, I always feel a bit uncomfortable because I can be quite critical about certain aspects of it, but I'm kind of critical in a very conversational way and I haven't really thought this through to the point where I really want it going down <laughs> like on the record, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I don't know. I was interested in what the assistant's trying to do is interrogate the system, the entire system. Mm. And I felt like the bombshell was very myopic in its view of, of ta tackling that issue, kind of missing a lot of the kind of larger problem with Fox News is misogyny essentially. And like there was a lot that was left out of that movie that I... Um, yeah, so there's. I have my own little complaints here and there, but I, it's, I mean, I'm, I want to see those films out there in the world. I want us to discuss them. I think it's important. I think the conversation. I think we should be having this conversation. Um, so I'm definitely supportive of, of them as they, yeah, get out of the world. For yeah, sure. and I think if there's different ways to say these 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 things, then let's let's do them in all all the different forms that we can, so that it gets through to everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm going to choose my way because that's the way I do. But so far, um, but, yeah. it seems your way has been one of the most successful ones that we've seen so far. I mean, you've got BAFTAs coming up. You've got three on the BAFTA long list for three different for best director, best original screenplay, and um, Julia for best actress, which is fantastic. She's brilliant. Yes, she's I'm so brilliant. happy that Julia's being recognised. I think she's so great. She's just. And she's also a joy to work with, you know, when there's that person's also lovely, which is rarely the case, I think, with Hollywood actors. But she's just such a sweetheart. 
Um, so that, yeah, that process was really incredible. Just, I hadn't worked that closely with an actor before. She's in every scene, essentially, mm. sometimes alone in a lot of the scenes. So it was, um, a big job for her, but the two of us had a really lovely working relationship. We had a big, long rehearsal period, which was great. So we really discussed everything. We kind of knew where she was, this character. We kind of tracked her emotional trajectory throughout and had a lot of those discussions. And I think that really helped because we didn't have much time to shoot. We had a pretty, like, indie budget so we were kind of going quickly and um it was great that we'd had all that time because the two of us had this chemistry I think which I thought oh this is what it's always like but then I realized at the end no I was just really like we really lucked out and that we really get along and we clicked and we could really figure out this character together in a way that um was collaborative in a way that was really wonderful Mm, she she is just so watchable I mean and because there's some scenes where she's not actually saying anything for a long period of time but there is so much being emoted so it's just she's just brilliant, f- fantastic. I'm very very pleased that she's um, on the long list, and here's to seeing her on the short list. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, she's uh, she's so great. I mean, we had this, we had no physical description of this assistant. It was just it had, had a name and an age, um, so we could have gone anywhere with the casting. And I remember some her name came up, and I I remembered when I was watching The Americans, that TV show about spies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's in it and she popped up in one episode and I was just like who is this kid she's just got such a striking appearance and, and there's something there's a mystery to it she always she's enigmatic somehow in a way that's interesting and I felt like oh that's what we need that's mm. what we need from the character for sure because she's doing the most mundane tasks photocopying making coffee you know so it really you need to have someone you, you want to watch or you're interested in mm. no she's she's perfect she really is so you were telling us that you're writing. Are you able to divulge some more information as to what you're up to next? Not really, but I, I must say I'm adapting two different things. One's a documentary and one's a book into fiction projects, which is I'm really enjoying. And I'm just having such a good time with having some material, having like a jumping off point essentially to, to play and explore and so that's been really fun. So I guess more fiction is essentially where on the direction I'm heading, but um, it's one of those, the film industry is so tough and fickle that it's always impossible to talk about it this early because you never know if it's going to fly mm. or not. But, um, but they must say I'm having fun. So it's been a joy to work on them, that's for sure. Well, that, that is the ultimate aim, isn't it? Just have fun whilst getting paid for it. <laughs> so exactly. Well, sometimes it's not yeah. always paid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it is. It's lovely. I mean, I must say that the assistant was a really heavy subject and it was a, it was a big, it was a lot of work and we were trying to do it as delicately and sensitively as possible, which meant we had to always be on guard. Um, so it's nice right now. I'm doing something that's about teen girls and it's so fun and it's mm-hmm. just sort of really fun to play with kind of characters that are it's there's there's a joy to getting up and work on it every morning which is such a different way to approach my work essentially than the way I've done it for so long so yeah it's it's great therapeutic psychologically it's great I think (laughs) oh I'm I'm very excited for that I mean after John Benet as well I mean that's heavy that was yeah (laughs) I'm glad you've given yourself a little bit of um, a mental break in some form yeah some lightness (laughs) that's for sure yeah yeah um, so lastly, something that we ask all of our guests and uh, in the spirit of letting everyone know about other great female voices in film, is there a filmmaker that you think uh, listeners should be paying attention to right now? Um, I don't know. This year's a great year for women. So it's really tough to kind of pick one because we have like 
we have Chloe and Emerald and Liza Hitman and there's a lot of like um yeah there's a lot of women making great work mm. and I I I yeah I just we had an amazing I mean we had the Gotham award nominations and all all five of us were women and it was incredible to have this group um and be able to we had this little group chat because it was all on zoom the award ceremony and being able to chat with all of them was so exciting I was like and Kelly of course but yeah it was just a great amazing um group of women so I I just feel really I'm really pleased to see us like just to see a lot of female names up there and to have be in great company when when we're doing all these really bizarre Zoom award shows. And things. Yeah, but, yeah, that is a, that is one powerful WhatsApp group. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I was really excited. So, oh, so wow. yeah, um, that's my. I would just say check out the films that are out this year because the majority of them are being directed by really strong, talented women for sure. Yeah, we do seem to have be um, quite spoiled for. Well, I say spoiled for choice balance seems to be being created <laughs> so yes. yeah which yeah. is which is great um and then I do have one last question which um is can you recommend one of your favorite films before new it can be old new but just something that you think we should be watching right now I don't know about right now but in terms of the assistant the 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 kind of the biggest influence on the assistant was mm. Jean Dillon, which is a Chantal Ackerman film right. um, yes. from the seventies. But yes. it is an incredible piece of work, and it has always been my favorite film, essentially. And so the assistant is, <laughs> I mean, heavily influenced by it to the point. Where <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely can see that. Yeah, um, and but it is uh, just an incredible, incredible piece of work about labor about. Um, routine about women's sort of the women's role in the in the home essentially and it's four hours it's quite a slog um, and often they play it in galleries so you can kind of walk around and, and enjoy it that way but um I do say if you want to have something on in, in the middle of this pandemic we have nothing but time thing. nothing exactly. but time right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> that exactly. actually sounds perfect that is exactly the film of our times a four-hour film um yeah. yes I, I, and a woman in the home which is exactly what we're all doing at the moment so you've nailed it you've absolutely nailed it yeah. <laughs> well thank you so much kitty and i really do hope you have lots more awards coming your way and lots more work coming your way because i think the work that you're creating is important and fascinating and brilliant so please keep up the good work and thank you so so much oh thank you for having me it's lovely to chat no thanks worries. Now, Karina, uh, Caitlin described uh, Kitty's body of work to date, which is quite varied, but with the assistant as sort of a launching point, how would you describe Kitty's approach to filmmaking? I think it's very, very interesting. And I love the blend of, in her previous work, um, I love this blend of fiction and documentary, which, as we heard, harks back to her original intent of starting a career in one in wanting to make fiction and I think it's wonderful to see that she's managed to do the two and especially as female filmmakers a lot of them do end up having to make documentaries because that is um, an easier option for them when their work isn't so often green-lighted um, whereas documentary you have much more freedom to do your own thing um, what is she trying to say I think I mean, again, just like listening to where she gets her inspiration from, who knows what you're going to come across. And she obviously has a 
feminist mind and she's thinking about women's stories and how to centre them and with John Bonet as well I mean there's all this very vile culture cultural dis discourse of, uh, around the the murder of this poor young girl and the beauty queen but ultimately this girl let's let's think about what the fact is here and it's this girl has been murdered and then looking at the assistant again there is all this noise and like necessary discourse around the me too movement around the treatment of women in offices and the film industry but she's managed again to just crunch it down into what matters most and that is the individual and the woman and what her story is and how that resonates and can be applied to so many of us so she's just done this really good job of distilling the noise and presenting the what we really need to be focusing on now steph the film arrived at the frontier of on-screen stories about me too and also similar narratives about oppression or prejudice that women are experiencing and have been experiencing. How do you think they're going so far and how do you think this film contributes to the bigger conversation? Yeah, I think this film is really interesting because I feel like there was this weird kind of trend around 2017, 2018, where like any film that had a woman in it was like, it's this for the Me Too generation, like in all its reviews and stuff. And I feel like it's only just in now in the past kind of year that we're really starting to get films that are actually addressing like what it's about and that kind of like really insidious workplace environment where kind of stuff flies under the radar and and it, yeah, it's kind of gotten away with by people in positions of power. Like that's really what it's about and what I think Kitty Green addresses so well in this film. Um, yeah, the the general kind of um, tone and story of the film is really kind of done so well because it's that thing of like, there might not be a problem here, but I can kind of see there is. And like when you're watching along, you you feel like on her side about there kind of being something wrong but you can't quite put your finger on it and then there's that brilliant scene with um Matthew McFadden who I think is cast so well um this really like slimy HR guy kind of just like completely dismissing every concern that um that she has and that is really kind of getting into the heart I think of what has what has been going on for so long in the industry and in kind of multiple industries um, and I think it really got me thinking as well about like how we reckon with work that's already been made and then is then kind of revealed to have been made in a toxic environment. Um, like I like just finished watching um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the spin-off Angel, like at the time that Charisma Carpenter kind of came forward with the concrete story about how Joss Whedon treated her on set and um that was really kind of interesting because that all those stories have been flying about before she even kind of properly said anything anyway and then it's only kind of now that people are that other people are coming forward and kind of coming out with these stories about his treatment and that I think is a really good example of what Kitty Green's getting at in the assistant in this kind of the way that pe you treat people below you it, maybe it's not necessarily like illegal but it's definitely contributing to this 
um don't say anything it's for your job like you'll you will get fired if you come forward about any of this type thing um and it's just yeah really interesting to see that kind of that kind of attitude interrogated in that way that scene is um something i want to talk about a little bit because as you say i mean he's denying the points that she's making but he's also not outwardly denying them a lot of the time there's something so suffocating about that scene and um the way the the scale of manipulation and deceit and the way that when she I mean not to give too much about the film away but when she comes back to her desk and already everybody is aware that the idea of confidentiality in that space the idea of a safe space in that company does not exist and I just think that film in that in that scene says so much it's so artfully done I think she's accomplished in that scene what films like and I'm I'm so hesitant to even bring up the bombshell film but <laughs> I think it 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 shows so powerfully what so many other films aren't able to um and it is a it is a real craft it's devastating but it's so impactful isn't it and it and it really just shows quite very explicitly in fact I was going to say it was quite subtle but actually it's very explicit in how people and individuals that are essentially working for institutions will protect their institution and their job themselves before the protection of of, of somebody else and she you know it's yeah it's a, it's a perfect example of gaslighting if anybody hasn't quite understood what that is yet like that is it explicitly so yeah I think it's really interesting to think about the ways that denial can be corroboration and can be exposing you know in, in in those kinds of circumstances you know the fact that his character can sit there and you know I, I don't know again not to just sort of give so much away about the the story but that he can sort of you know refute what she's saying but in doing that in in that very act of 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 choosing not to believe her or choosing not to take anything forward from what she's saying because he's so embedded in the culture there and because he's so aware of the implications of that um it it, it corroborates her story, you know, so much more than, um, you know, for 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 that kind of environment. That's that's all the all the proof you need. You know, not that it was ever in doubt for a kind of audience who are who are engaged with the story and, and kind of aware of what's been going on, especially in you know real life situations. Um, but yeah, it's such a such an interesting way of handling that that balance between you know kind of truth and the way people try and cover that up, but also the way that people you know people sort of build conspiracies around these things which is also something that that really comes through in in John Bonnet casting John Bonnet that's the whole the whole kind of crux of that that story is you know how do people project their own feelings or their own um intentions you know whether that's like the Matthew McFadden character wanting to cover up a situation how does that influence and um you know seep into their understanding of a narrative and in John Bonet, it's more sort of like, is this a deliberate cover up or is this a, you know, a societal uh, choice to to believe certain narratives about women or young girls or, you know, men in society. But, it, but as that kind of transpires in the assistant, it becomes much more of a conscious choice, which I think is a really interesting uh, through line between those kind of two films. Mm-hmm. And even beyond um, that particular scene with um, Matthew the one line that the woman says, I think she's in a lift saying she'll get more out of this than he will. That's such a cutting line. And I've certainly worked with women who have said things like on along that line of basically saying, you've just got to suck it up. 
this is this is the world that we live in it's going to be okay just deal with it because eventually you'll get a lovely job out of it and that's the stuff that needs to stop you know that's the stuff we need those spaces to be able to call people out and i think yes just going back to the question that you asked steph there does seem to be progress a lot more needs to be made um and i think it's really interesting to hear um kitty talking about how right now nobody's in the workplace but we have this opportunity to reflect as we have done in the last 14 months or so over everything that's happened in the world everything from our healthcare to black lives matter movement to the me too movement we are in a really good time right now to sit and reflect as to how we want the world to be when we come out of whatever this lockdown is right now and if we've got that time to say okay well what can i do for my colleagues what can i do for my employees i think if we're still having this conversation in a couple of years time those institutions have failed so we'll see yeah i think it was really interesting what she was saying about like um women like working at home like at the moment i read this really good i think it was the new york times article and it was um kind of three three women in the u.s working from home and looking after children and it was like there's just this one like really damning photo where it's like the wife trying to get her toddler to like go to the bathroom and then her husband is like in the other room in this really nice like clean desk area and then it's like but the wife is like also trying to have a work call on the phone and like the husband is like just not doing anything and it's like that is like such a kind of yeah just like damning photograph but um yeah that kind of like the way that the work balance is split for women i think that's like so well done in the film as well just like all the mundane stuff she has to do and yeah yeah it was so it was so kind of jarring because i remember being that girl i remember my first job being in the tv industry um being surrounded by very beautiful um extra model types and then there was like little old me kind of sitting around trying to answer the phone we would it was a tv researcher and it just this is the other thing all of this takes time this this understanding as to what it is that you're feeling all those doubts all those oh what did he mean by that what does she mean by that is this okay and then after only after years and with the articulation of things like kitty green's films have i now got the language to be like no actually that wasn't okay so insidious so deep rooted the change the change is going to take an awful lot of time but i just i think what is important about the work of someone like kitty green is that she is empowering without pushing an agenda forcefully onto women or speaking for women in a way that feels forceful like the fact that she spoke to hundreds of women about this the fact that she did take such a nuanced approach to this the fact that we don't see the perpetrator in the film it's empowering without ever kind of saying i'm the voice of these women do you know what i mean and i think i think it's just again i just think in her subtlety and in the kind of it's a specific circumstance but it is so i mean look at the stories we're talking about now they're so varied because they're all so thematically tied in i think the film you know it sounds reductive to say but the film is kind of this blank slate in a in the best possible way in that it's so kind of clinically 
depicted through you know aesthetic and tone um it's so bare in structure if you were to sort of write out everything that happens you would have like a very bare list of you know action by action um even down to you know like kitty was saying about the character being kind of a jane doe um figure all of these things are such sort of blank canvases for anyone to be able to put their story to and to match their their experiences to um which i think yeah as you say beth is is such a great way of not trying to force a particular narrative or or understanding of a situation onto women who have experienced or people who have experienced these things um and to allow space for people to uh kind of digest that in their own way and and bring their own feelings to to the narrative well, that concludes our Kitty Green episode of Who Is She? The Assistant is available to rent now and the subject of our next episode will be announced on social media very shortly. So keep an eye out on that. Thanks so much and we will see you next time. Who Is She? A Bechdel Test Fest podcast is a Bechdel Test Fest production. It was hosted by myself, Beth Webb, produced by Steph Watts with additional help from Karina Angevis and Caitlin Quinlan. Our music was written, performed and produced by Zoe Mead. Check out her band Wildest on all major streaming platforms. Like our podcast? Please subscribe and say nice things about us on our Apple Podcasts page.